Now we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would breathe life into your word to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm afraid I have to begin with a confession, as I sometimes do. Um, So, we give out Halloween candy at the door. We don't want our house to get egged. But Becky, that's not the confession. Becky bought a bag of Halloween candy um, a couple weeks ago. So now we have to go out and buy it again. Uh, (laughs) Because we got into it uh, quite substantially. But to be fair to us, through all of this, I think we did do an okay job of trying to teach our kids about discipline and self-control. And if they asked for candy, we said, sure. But first, you know, go finish your jobs, go finish your chores, then you get one. However, this raised some questions about why Becky and I had substantially more than one uh, candy already sitting, opened, unwrapped, and empty in front of us. Our kids observantly asked, why do you get more than us? And I said, because we're not like you. We're adults. And evidently, this is a common conversation in households at this time of year, because I just saw a meme about it, the exact same conversation uh, on Instagram. But the kids didn't think the meme was funny. Funny. They said, how is that fair? And I said, it isn't. It's just the way it is. And they said, why? I said, because I said so. So here I am, standing, delivering my confession Because I know that isn't right. Uh, I know because I said so is never a satisfactory answer. I also want you to know that it's a confession followed by repentance. I'm trying to make amends. I'm working very hard on finishing all the candy so that we don't have a problem anymore. Now I'm sharing this with you not just to remind you of what a sinner I am. Every now and then you need to be reminded. I'm also sharing this uh, because... The conversation with the kids reminded me of a conversation I had a few years ago at a Bible study. I was invited to lead this Bible study for some Young Life leaders out on the peninsula. For anyone who doesn't know, Young Life is an organization that works on building relationships with kids, with youth. Their website says they start with meeting kids where they're at and then caring for them and then sharing the Christian faith in a simple and understandable way, all with no strings attached. So I was leading a Bible study for some of their leaders, their young adult leaders, and one of the leaders came up to me afterwards and asked, why did Jesus have to die? Apparently she'd been wrestling with this question. And I did my best to explain that, you know, as we read in Romans this spring, God is justifiably angry at sin and at sinners, and that as a just judge, he couldn't simply acquit the guilty, simply ignoring sin would be unjust. And God's own law required sin to be appeased before it could be forgiven, and a price needed to be paid, and according to the law, that price was blood, 
But God sent his own son, Jesus, to pay the price for us with his own blood. As Romans explains, Jesus was the propitiation for our sin. In other words, he appeased God's wrath. And this young leader responded saying, yes, I understand that. But why did Jesus have to die? I was like, oh no. So I tried to explain the same thing again in a slightly different way. And she said again, yes, but why did he have to die? And in my head, I was like, because uh, of what I just said, what about propitiation? Don't you understand? But anyway, we had a little bit more back and forth until eventually the only answer that I could give was because God said so. And he knows what's best for us, even if sometimes we don't understand it all. And last week we looked at how God has demonstrated this to us. That he does know what's best for us. We looked how through the Immaculate Conception we can see the Immaculate Plan. That God, the designer of all things, designed for us and for our salvation. And as we've journeyed through the Creed together, we've now affirmed that part of that plan well, all of the plan revolves around his son, Jesus. And we've affirmed that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus is Lord, that we take our orders from him. We trust him to give them to us, even if we don't fully understand them. And Jesus is God, fully God, but also fully man, fully human. That as the words of the Nicene Creed affirm, Jesus came down from heaven was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. And this was for a purpose. This was for us and for our salvation. It was all a part of God's plan for us and for our salvation, that Jesus became fully human in every respect, except for sin, so that he could represent us that he could serve as the propitiation for our sins. I'm having lots of fun with that word these days. The full, perfect, and sufficient atoning sacrifice that paid the price for the sins of the whole world. The creed then continues by sharing how he did this. Each week when we say the creed together, we then affirm that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. That's how the Apostles' Creed puts it. The Nicene Creed states, for our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. The creeds make sure to mention Pontius Pilate just to remind us that this is an historical event. This isn't an idea that this happened. But it does bring us back to the question that that young lady at the Bible study asked me a few years ago. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to suffer? Last week we looked at how Hebrews 2.17 explains Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might make propitiation for the sins of the people. But Hebrews explains that there is more to this than just a biological technicality. 
that it's not just because Jesus became a physical man like us that he could take our place. It wasn't a disguise. Hebrews 2.18 continues to explain that Jesus was able to represent us because he was made like us in every respect. And this included living and experiencing life just as we do. This means he had to suffer just as we do. Hebrews 2.18 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Our catechism to be a Christian explains, as it goes through the creed, the many ways in which Jesus suffered. That on earth, the incarnate Son shared physically, emotionally, and spiritually in the temptations and sufferings common to all people, yet again without sin. Jesus went through these trials, but he didn't turn away from God because of them. Jesus suffered as we do so that, as our reading from Hebrews today shares, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet again without sin. And this means that no matter what our suffering may be, no matter what we're going through, Jesus knows. Jesus knows exactly what we're going through in every respect because he has been through it as well. And this means that as Hebrews continues, we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Jesus suffered, and this means he is able to identify with us Because he has experienced our sufferings, he understands our sorrows, he is able to sympathize with our weakness. But Jesus also suffered as a sacrifice for our sins, so that despite all our troubles, we can find peace. God had a plan to bring us that peace, because he knows what's best for us, and he knew that that peace can only be found in him. That that peace comes from relationship with God. And the Old Testament prophesied this plan in Isaiah 53, 5, saying, But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment, the penalty that brought about peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Now, we should note that in this particular verse, it isn't saying by his wounds our sins are forgiven. That is said elsewhere, but this verse from Isaiah offers another additional promise a promise that God made to his people long before Jesus came, that because of Jesus' suffering, our wounds, our suffering, may ultimately 
be healed. We all encounter times of suffering to various levels and degrees. But I'm not going to stand here today and tell you that because of what you've just heard, it'll all be fine. This is a challenging topic because when it comes down to it, understanding suffering in theory versus trying to understand it when it actually happens is a challenge for many of us. An intellectual understanding is often not enough. Knowing that God has a plan doesn't always make the pain go away. We may understand, yes, suffering is a part of our shared human condition, but when it happens to us, it so often feels unfair and can often lead to feelings of anger towards God. And this is why, as we've observed before, one of perhaps the two greatest objections to faith in God is the problem of suffering. Now, as we've been journeying through the creed, we have observed, we've celebrated that God, our Heavenly Father, is unlike our natural fathers because He is perfect in His love and almighty in His care. He makes no errors of judgment. He knows what's best for us and He does at times discipline us, but only for our good. This doesn't stop so many of us from repeatedly asking this common shared question, if God is such a good father, why does he allow his children, whom he loves, to suffer? Theologians and philosophers have wrestled for centuries with this problem of suffering. I brought just a few examples today. In this book, The Reason for God by the late, great Tim Keller, Tim Keller shares that, Many people conclude that suffering can only exist because God is an omnibenevolent, all-good father, but is not powerful enough to end evil and suffering. Or because God is omnipotent, all-powerful, but not good enough to end evil and suffering. This is why people choose not to believe in God or to walk away from God. However, in this book, Searching for God, that we've visited a few times recently, Nikki Gumbel writes, God chose to allow suffering into the world. Suffering isn't evidence against God. It's evidence for God's love. God chose to allow suffering into the world because he loves us. And he wants us to love him back. And therefore he wanted to give us free will. Because love is not love if it is forced. It can only be love if it's a real choice. However, given this freedom, humanity, men and women, from the beginning, have chosen to break God's laws. Have chosen to turn away from God, do things their own way. And the result of this is suffering, is living in a world where we don't do things God's way. Now, I've actually found that to be one of the more satisfactory and helpful answers to this problematic question. But it doesn't answer all the questions. There's still many more questions. 
If God allowed suffering to enter into the world, why does God allow it to continue? C.S. Lewis, in this book, classic The Problem of Pain, writes, It would no doubt have been possible for God to remove, by miracle, the results of the first ever sin committed by a human being, just like that. But, as Lewis points out, this wouldn't have been much good unless he was prepared to remove the results of the second sin and of the third and so on forever. So Nicky Gumbel continues that suffering is the result of humanity's sin, our own sin, though not all direct suffering is the direct result of our own sin. People don't just get sick because they did something bad. It's also the result of other sin. It's also the result of living in this fallen, sinful world. And, as we've seen, Paul reminds us that Christians aren't exempt. Rather, to the contrary, Paul's recently reminded us that if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in Christ's sufferings. Jesus shared in our suffering, and we in turn, if we follow Christ, if we walk in his footsteps, will face the same suffering as he did. But this isn't just because we live in a fallen, sinful world. It's also for a purpose, for God's purpose. It's also in order that we may share in Christ's glory. And through this verse that we have looked at a number of times recently, we see that, yes, God does work through suffering for good. That God often, not always, but often, uses suffering to bring about his good purposes. It's not always easy to see at the time what God is doing. Sometimes we have to wait a long time, and that can be difficult. But we can be assured that God does have a plan, that God does know what's best for us, even if sometimes we don't understand it all. And when God says, because I said so, we can trust what he says. If we forget this, then we are prone to getting angry at God as though he is being unfair to us for allowing suffering to happen to us, instead of remembering that he will use our suffering as a part of our sanctification, as a part of our growth. And this is why I've shared once before how I heard someone once say on the radio that most times when we encounter suffering, we shouldn't think of it so much as being broken down. It certainly feels that way at times. I know for myself feels like the devil isn't trying to throw a knockout punch. He's just throwing constant jabs over and over again. And it weakens you and breaks you down. Jesus understands this. And God is using it. So that rather than being broken down, we're being planted. God is planting us in this situation. So that we may grow from it. God more than compensates for our suffering so that our momentary troubles achieve for us something greater, the hope 
and assurance of an eternal glory that far outweighs all those troubles, our eternal inheritance as children and heirs of our Father in heaven. We share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now again, I don't want to understate this. I know from experience that in times of suffering, all of this can be very difficult to accept. It doesn't always seem like a satisfactory answer. Sometimes I don't want to hear it. It may not seem like enough to make the pain go away. Sometimes it's difficult for us to accept that the truth is that God doesn't promise painlessness. What he does promise is hope, eternal hope. And so to end today, I want to share this word of hope from our catechism that as difficult as it can be, we can and should bear our sufferings with the same perseverance that we see Jesus demonstrate in his. We can and should bear our sufferings with hope, knowing that our Savior Jesus is with us through them all, that Jesus has experienced our sufferings, that he understands our sorrows, that he is able to sympathize with our weakness when we struggle, that Jesus' suffering also reveals God's love and compassion for a fallen, suffering humanity living in a fallen and suffering world. We can and should bear our suffering with hope, knowing that through our suffering, Jesus is with us, has suffered with us, does suffer with us, and so through this we are drawn closer to him. Through our suffering, we may come to know him more fully and we can rest assured in our hope of future and eternal glory let's pray O oh god almighty and merciful you heal the brokenhearted and turn the sadness, the sorrowful, to joy. Let your fatherly goodness be upon all whom you have made. Remember in pity all those who are this day destitute, homeless, infirm, or forgotten. Bless the multitude of your poor. Lift up those who are cast down. Mightily befriend innocent sufferers and sanctify to them the endurance of their wrongs. Cheer with hope all who are discouraged and downcast. And by your heavenly grace, preserve from falling those whose poverty tempts them to sin. Though they be troubled on every side, suffer them not to be distressed. Though they are perplexed, save them from despair. Grant this, O Lord, for the love of him who for our sakes became poor, your Son, our Savior, 
Jesus Christ. And as we do observe All Saints Day this week, as we prepare to remember those who have gone before us, we also pray, Almighty God, you have knit together your elect in one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your Son. Give us grace so to follow your blessed saints in all virtuous and godly living, that we may come to those ineffable joys that you have prepared for those who truly love you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you in the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God in glory everlasting. Amen.